Okay, welcome to another episode of Ready, Set, Binge with your host, Jeremy and Nick. Nick, how's it going, man? I'm feeling good, man. This is a big one. This is huge. This is, this is, I'll be honest, you know, I pride myself on TV history and, and everything, but this, I knew this would be big, but this, and those early on in our show's history, I, might be the biggest one we 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 tackle like this is a lot this is a lot yeah and what's funny is that it's not i don't think it would make either of our personal top five lists but objectively this is one of the most talked about and watched sitcoms in television history to this day um we see different networks fighting over the licensing and uh, you know, having the ability to, to stream the show, drawing in still many viewers in uh, 2020. It's crazy, man. And this is like, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all this today, but I'm, this is one of my all time, you know, nostalgic shows in regards to growing up in the nineties and watching television and watching prime time. So I'm definitely going to have a lot to say about this one. Yeah, it definitely, you mentioned personal list. What did make my top five personal list? Now, when it comes to popularity and, and the impact it had on pop culture, you can't, you can't take that away. I, I, I am wondering if it hits rightfully so the top five sitcoms on an objective list. I'll be honest for a lot of different reasons. And, and you're right. It's, um, you know, we have on on another podcast in the zone with Dare Me and Jose, we talked about The Office and its legacy. And The Office has been off not as long as Friends has been off the air, but has gotten a huge resurgence and really found a new audience. Friends has found a new audience, too, which is kind of surprising in a way, which is why, like you said, why you know HBO Max fought to get that you know the streaming rights for it and before covid there was going to even be a friends reunion uh dropping on hbo max where they all got back together like these these characters are just as popular now as they you know were in the 90s and early 2000s which is really it's really strange to me and we're going to get into some of the controversial aspects of the show i am just as surprised as I was with The Office when I look back and I see that this show now has gained this additional following um, from younger generations, I don't, I don't really get it. It's, it's really surprising to me. Uh, I thought it would be more of a nostalgia trip for, for us, you know, at this point, the millennials out there. But apparently not. It's still somehow powering through, you know, whether that's to you know, the lack of creativity in today's sitcoms and just there's there's a, a void to be filled or it's you know a little deeper down saying something about the psychology of america uh, i don't know there's a lot now let me ask you why why is it shocking when you i, I find it a little bit different than the office I find friends shocking. I agree with that part, but the office, I think they're, they're different and why I'm not surprised that the office has like a resurgence, but I am surprised that friends has a resurgence. Well, what do you see different for me? I see that the office, there's a difference in that 
the office kind of, I'm sure you're talking, you don't want to beat around it. Like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but talk about cancel culture and all that stuff and yeah. why it's right. So the office, in my opinion, in a lot of ways, it doesn't, it's not hide, it's not hiding it or building on it. it you know, those jokes, whether it was the, the sexist jokes or race, it has that, I'm not saying it's all in the family, but it has that where it's making that sexist and in like kind of like dumb thinking the joke and we're, we're laughing at it where friends is different where that's not the case when we talk about the fat shaming or the homophobia like or the lack of diversity you know the office is pretty much pointing out in its own way that the corporate workplace is not comfortable for minorities and women which is something that we we knew way before the office but it's putting that to light and it's kind of bringing that out there that it's not diverse it's not uh you know there's not really a lot of good diversity trainings out there you know traditionally and all that so it's putting that to light where friends to me is kind of at the time was just riding that wave and just there is no like, oh, we're making fun of, well, we're pointing the fact out that like, oh, you're the you're the idiot for being homophobic or you're yeah. the idiot for fat shaming. It's using that and just kind of taking it as a cheap joke, in my opinion. So yeah. that's where it's different. There's for no me. there's no self awareness. There's no there's no um, yeah. They're, they're just laughing at the expense of others in certain situations and they're just kind of writing it out. I, I get what you're saying and it's a good point. Um, I mean, a product of its time, maybe I, I hate that saying because I feel like it's used so much nowadays, but here I feel like it kind of applies Be- because th- these things, you know, that we've brought more awareness to and more sensitivity to nowadays weren't in the limelight back in the, early to mid nineties and where the office is kind of self-deprecating friends really wasn't, they were just kind of riding the wave of what people laughed at at the time. And it's just, you know, we're going to get into what some of that was. And it, that's what still surprised me. It surprises me about friends even more so than the office, I guess, after you made your points is that I'm, I'm more surprised at friends. Um, and, and well, also, I, I, you know, do not think that it was, was, I, I, don't, I, I agree with you. I hate that term, um, product of its time, but I also don't think, uh, I, you, we've seen, if you do like, you look back on it, these things were brought up certain things, especially the lack of diversity and. And and they're brought up right very early on in the shows early once, you know, the show was a top 10 show every year. It was on the air all those 10 seasons. And it was a phenomenon right from the gate. These things were brought up right away. And from the cast and from like the creators were kind of like, yeah, but we don't care. Yeah. And and so that's where it's like how much of it is the fact of product of the time and how much of the fact of it doesn't affect me. I don't care. 
And I think it's more of that, I think, in a lot of cases than we think. You know, a lot of times we say product of the time. But I think for each of those topics and we look at it, we had people who were talking about these things back then, whether it's we need more diversity on TV or, you know, fat shaming is wrong. You know, with Roseanne, you know, that was a few that came out in 88 and people talking about, hey, we need people on TV who look like everyday people, not just the, the Hollywood type. You know, these conversations were going on way before then. Uh, lack of diversity on TV. We talked on the Fresh Prince episode about, you know, the, the 90s and the, the mid-90s. That was a golden age. You know, they rode the wave of the Cosby show and you saw more diversity on TV. So Friends came out in 94 and why not ride that wave? But they did not. No, they didn't. And I mean, the other reason why I hate using that that saying is because... <laughs> The sh- what makes the show so complicated is that it did do a few things that were progressive for the time. But then while they were doing those few things, they were also undermining them with all of the jokes and lack of diversity. So it's, it's, it's an enigma, and, and we're going to get into it. Um, I... I feel like you could give it equal credit, like the criticism and praise could be equal for this show. Yeah. I, 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 I'll let you expand on that. I think it, it's uh, equal is, I see why you say equal for me. I won't, but I understand that. I do get that. It's hard because I'm just running through all of the things that like came up on the show, which weren't really done at that point in TV, but then at the same time, they just, they take away from it. So it's like, it could have been a trailblazing show. I'm trying not to get into like too many specifics just yet. It could have been a trailblazer, but fell short. Hmm. I I don't it's interesting I think we're going to have similar but like there's going to be a different take and I think I'll be honest and as I'm not I always say I'll be honest but I don't I haven't not been honest honest on any podcast I I do or any of the conversations we've had you know about topics like this throughout our our friendship um it's not what it could have done has been because of the platform, because of the pushing it got from NBC and Warner Brothers, it could have bumped a light. It could have shone shone a light on something. But there were shows in the 90s that were doing this before, even on like the, you know, the LGBTQ issues in like season two with the wedding and stuff. And, you know, rock a sitcom on Fox. In 91, had a same-sex wedding. Um, Roseanne had shown the first kiss between women and stuff like that and talked about it. And I I liked how Roseanne talked about the issue way more than I did uh, how Friends did it, even with that episode. Um, Yeah, because they mask everything in, like, this, um, this 
humor. They mask everything and the, like they keep things, they try to keep things light, except for when they want to have dramatic moments, you know, in regards to relationships between, between the characters on the show, no matter what stuff happens, they always like manage to kind of, they always like make a, uh, an effort to, to lift it up with this kind of, I don't know, delicate humor. And that kind of takes away from the real issues a little bit. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Now, um, we'll, we'll definitely get into it more because there are things, like you said, there are positives with the show. Positives, I guess, with why I see why people still connect to it nowadays. And I think it does go with society and what's going on. So I, um, I'll let you, you know, we have the summary and all and the, the fun fast facts. So I'll, I'll kick that over to you though. Yeah. So the friends was created by David Crane and Marta Kaufman ran from September, 1994 to May of 2004, 10 seasons, uh, airing on NBC. Um, and it's, it started an ensemble cast. So, we have uh, Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Matt LeBlanc, Matthew Perry, David Schwimmer, and Lisa Kudrow made up that en- ensemble cast. And as a summary, I'm um, not going to get into too too many specifics since there, it was ten seasons and a lot that went transpired over those ten seasons. A lot of guest stars, a lot of plot twists. Um, but basically, the show follows a close knit group of twenty and thirty somethings trying to find their way in Manhattan and in New York City. Uh, so first there's Rachel, the spoiled runaway bride that decides to trade in daddy's credit cards for a shot to grind it out on her own with the help of her new friends. Uh, Monica, the headstrong chef who must always have things a certain way. Phoebe, the eccentric, quirky masseuse and aspiring songwriter who grew up on the streets after her mother killed herself. Chandler, the extremely sarcastic business executive of... Who knows what and nobody pays attention. (laughs) Joey, the hopefully ambitious yet often naive broke actor whose greatest passions are women and food. And Ross, Monica's brother, the accomplished paleontologist and golden child of his family, whose life is left in shambles after his wife leaves him for another woman. Uh, I have the peak seasons as being up for debate. What, What do you think about that? I think people will do. Uh, for me, no. If you say peak season, if if you say peaks, uh, like uh, the conversation is different. Peak seasons, not up for debate. Debate for me. Um, I I disagree. But some people want to throw in season eight as the best season. Um, that's a different argument. To me, the peak seasons are one through five. In the last half, is not. It, it's a it's a it's downward to me. Honestly, well, but here's the thing, though. It peaked at number one, like its all-time peak ratings-wise was season eight. I know. Was was at its highest, which is surprising because I agree with you and that after season five, it dipped a little bit. It dipped a little bit. Just but that's my own personal view. I it had an extremely strong following. So I'm not sure, like, I'm not surprised that it kept up that strongly. Now, 
seasons nine and 10, a little bit of a blur with the exception of the finale. And I think that goes for most people. Um, but I was surprised in doing my research when I found out that season eight was technically I, by numbers of the peak. I'm a guy who likes the Nielsen rating history, even though it's pretty biased. It's history, but like I'm fascinated like what was number one, who did well in the ratings, what wasn't a rating show history. So I didn't know that. And I remember that. I remember Friends um, was number one at that time. Part of it, I think, also um, – Season eight was the pregnancy episode season with Rachel. And I do think that it was also a kind of, you know, Seinfeld's off the air by that point. Seinfeld has a similar arc where Seinfeld in his ninth and final season went off the air as number one. And it kind of, it got better in the ratings and those last four seasons, it really traded one and two with ER another, you know, must see TV Thursday, 90 staple. Um, so Seinfeld, that's where I'm not as surprised because Seinfeld had that arc, but I do believe the, the pregnancy with Rachel and just that time frame of what else is really peaking at that time. Um, I think it was also like, we, we know we're comfortable with this. We know this, um, this is our show. So we'll, we'll, we're going to stick with it. So I'm not surprised that it had its highest rating in season eight yeah yeah that's a good point um do you want to do you want to kick off the fun facts yes so fun fact number one jennifer aniston was almost not casted on the show friends because she had conflict with another show that she was also cast for so there was a back and forth but uh warner brothers and nbc wanted her on friends so it was also the other show she was up for or on was another NBC show. So what did the brass at NBC do? They said, we'll fix this problem. We'll just cancel and kill off the other show. And Jennifer Aniston was able to get on to Friends. Yikes. Can you imagine being a part of that other show and you would have had her as a cast member on there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a dog-eat-dog world in Hollywood, my friend. It is. And it's it's always interesting to go back and listen to the casting stories and think about how how different the show would have been without this person or this person. I don't know without any of these six pieces, without any of these actors, I don't know that the show is as successful as it is without like only one of them. Right, right. And um, I will say this also real quick to just to say, I do believe ratings. The eighth season was. 0102. So we know in fall, you know, we just had the anniversary. 9/11 happens, you know, uh in 2001 and part of me feels like friends is comfort food at a real um uncertain time. Yeah. And I, oh. I part of me believes that that also plays into it as well. Yeah, set in New York. Mhm. You know, they did little little nods to to New York um you know, patriotism here and there subtly in the show, like in the background and stuff after, after nine 11. And um, that's exactly right. I think it, it just resonated with people and it was a source of comfort and in a time of much needed healing. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised that it peaked at that time either. Although I don't think it's at all the best season, but it makes sense. If you look at historically what was mm-hmm. going on around that, around that time. 
Um, but on a lighter note, did you know that Lisa Kudrow actually wrote Smelly Cat when she was drunk? I did. <laughs> I did. It made it into the show. I mean, talk about it's so funny how some things just happen so organically. And sometimes we get the most iconic moments from things that we don't even have expectations for. Like we just, <laughs> like we just, you know, we write something when we're drunk, we probably put it away. Ha ha. This is silly. This is funny. Maybe I could do something like independently with this someday, or maybe it's just going to sit in my drawer forever. And then all of a sudden they write that into the show for her character. This is, you know, aspiring songwriter um, who everybody, you know, out of their, out of love for her, they, they, they make sure that they put forth an effort to take her seriously, even though, you know, beneath the surface they're, they're cracking up. And then, you know, the song just blows up to this day. Most people still, still would recognize it. Um, Not too long ago, Lisa Kudrow, who played Phoebe, went on stage with Taylor Swift and they sung Smelly Cat. So isn't that as crazy to me, like that background and then how iconic it's lasted in the 90s with, you know, Gen Xers. Yep. But then gone to now Taylor Swift, like, and the crowd went crazy. Like they know this song. So it's, um, I, I don't know. That's why I love doing podcasts like this because, you know, people think, oh, history's boring. And I respect if you don't love it, but like it comes back and it stays and you kind of need to see where things have come from to see where you're, you're at right now presently and where you're going. And it's just funny, like how that's come full circle 25 years later, a whole, those Gen Xers, their kids, no smelly cat. Yeah. And I mean, we're seeing this with, with other things too, with the nineties and the two thousands, it's like the culture is kind of making a comeback for some odd reason that I can't really figure out everything from like, games to to you know uh fashion and i mean it just seems like every like 20 to 30 years removed from a decade there's a resurgence for some reason and sitcoms from the 90s like just shows from the 80s and 90s back then i it seems to be one of the biggest things and I don't know if it's like we just don't we're not getting with the exception of some of the premium channels and a few like Netflix shows and like streaming services that are doing their own stuff. We're not getting as much original content anymore. Not much like not many groundbreaking shows. Like what was the last groundbreaking show that you remember watching where like it gained a mass audience almost immediately and everybody watched the finale. Like I got to think back to Breaking Bad. Well, Game of Thrones. Yeah, but with much criticism in the later seasons. Well, I mean, it, it I mean, but from the start, it, it had a big fight. Like that was not like it didn't, it didn't just come out of nowhere. Game of Thrones to me was pretty big from the jump. Um, Breaking Bad was not big from the jump. Breaking Bad, people didn't know about Breaking Bad at first. It got kind of a, when it went on Netflix while it was still airing, got that resurgence. And then it be people caught up to it, but at first people did not know Breaking Bad. You're not you're not going to get that. I think I think you're not going to get that really, where you have 50 million people watching a finale. 80, you know, Seinfeld has 70 something million. You're, those days, I think, are gone. Like you're not going to have that because there's so many options. Yeah, that's true. 
That's true. I, I just, when, when was the last time, like you think back, like, you know, 15 years ago, we weren't seeing all these reunion specials on old TV shows, like not as many, at least. It's like, I don't know if it's because the millennials are, are kind of taking over as this nostalgia driven generation because we went through so many transitions just historically with like technology and culture and all that. And now that we're a little bit older and have, you know, a little more pull in, you know, professional life, we're starting to see these things crop up again. I don't know, but it's, it's certainly being embraced. Well, I think also, you know, real quick, a, a part of it, not the only part, I think it's a combination like most things. Big part of it is what we're doing now. Podcasts, we've had a lot of, re, you know, rewatchables, kind of like the Gilmore Guys, the West Wing Weekly. Uh, they, they pick these shows that maybe some of them have big audiences, some don't. But, you know, you get some podcast host either associated with the show or maybe they weren't, but they start, they're giving their um, reasoning of why they like this episode or why they love this show and these characters, these podcasts are getting followings. You know, they're bringing on some of the old writers, some of the old actors, it's getting that pub and then people are trying to generate with it. So I think also you have that. I think we have social media where now, you know, you kind of with the friends, they look, we're doing, doing friends. So, in the 90s, you know, internet was coming of age with, you know, dial-up and stuff, and you had some chat rooms. But now it's really easy to find, you know, whatever your show is, to find other people who love this show and bond with it and connect with it. So I think that's also a combination of it, too. Yeah, and I guess we, uh, you know, our generation, as well as the one that came after us, is makes up the biggest part of that movement on social media. Um, so when you consider that maybe is, it isn't as much a surprise that the shows that we grew up watching are the ones that are most being shared right now through that digital space. Yeah. And I also think you look at it, we grew up, we're kids of the, you know, we're born in the eighties, but kids of the nineties. For me, I felt like the seventies had that resurgence in the nineties. You know, they redid the star Wars, movies they they came out again in the 90s those they, they, star wars had a big like bump um you know different things like that i even i remember like from rocky movies to just different stuff you know even in sports talking to dr j dr j's not talked about now he's a guy the seven in the 90s dr j was like a he was like a big resurgence talking about him uh i just think a lot of things you know i do think that like you said earlier, like that 20 year kind of mark. Cause it's not that far where it's like that 20 year. If you look at it for us, we're in our early thirties and we go back to 20 years. That's that peak time. And a lot of people now are having kids. If you're a little bit older, maybe you're like 15 or 20, you know, 20, 25 years ago, you're having kids and you're kind of sharing that with them and all that stuff, and you're not of an older age where, like, the new wave of things is, like, too kind of far out of your reach, maybe. You know what I'm saying? No offense, yeah. but yeah. it's that kind of, like, hybrid. So I do think there is something to that 20-year thing where it, it gets that 
people get nostalgic for it. Yeah, it's like you're still young enough to enjoy what you enjoy back then. You're not like too far removed from it, but you're far enough removed to where it it offers nostalgia and comfort and fond memories. Um, and yeah. And I was going to say just real quick, even though all of like history is a is a connector when we look at like 20 years before that's really of a oh so that's why we have this now because blah 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 even though it's like where like the where cell phones really like started or like the computer started was like before we kind of see oh the 90s in some people's mind that's when like you started seeing like flip phones more that's where it started really started before then like the talk of it or that's where the internet started and computers like it went before then but and when you see it in like mass media and pop culture and music you start seeing the the forms of that where like if you go back to the 80s and 70s it was you had to go and buy albums you know buy a record have a record player in the 90s you start seeing cds uh get to the early two late 90s early 2000s you see like napster early 2000s the ipod and it's like for people oh like that younger generation that's where it started and you kind of it's a simple way to connect where we're at now by going back like 20 years i feel that's just my opinion yeah well no and and two for those of us who grew up in the 90s before that big wave of technology and social media and smartphones before that all hit it's kind of like we're remembering back to a simpler time too Mm -hmm. where things you know and that's also kind of a uh, uh, you know, comforting and just remembering how things were back then before, you know, because let's be honest, a lot of, a, a lot of complicated issues came along with this mass production of technology and information sharing. And back then it was just a lot more simple. And I think the entire dynamic of the show friends would be completely changed by technology. I mean, just mm-hmm. how, like with the characters, how the characters interact with each other, moving from, from place to place within the episodes, you know, living across from one another in, in the hall, just constantly going back and forth. I mean, nowadays, even though they live right across from one another, they probably still spend most of their time communicating on, on smartphones. Exactly. And texting, Hey, can I come over? And I think even, I think we see it, but even there's maybe people, of any generation who don't want to admit it, we all long for that. I think definitely that's where friends gives it where even if don't get me wrong there, we see the benefits of, Hey, it's cool to just text or, you know, I really don't want to deal. Even if it's our friend, I want to deal with them. Uh, I'm not home or, you know, <laughs> or like, I can't come like there's You see the benefits, but I think in the end, we all want that, that feeling of, of community and connection and friends. I think why, because it, I think especially in that frame, where they're all, especially when the show starts, they're in their, you know, mid-20s. And that is a time when a lot of, you know, it's kind of changing now, I guess, with the dynamics. But, like, a lot of times that's when you're really off on your own for the first time. And you have a family, as we saw on the show. They, you know, I think you see Phoebe kind of has, like, a broken family. But everybody else, you see, like, the family aspect. But really your friends become that family. And there is that, like, sense of comfort of, I think we all probably would move, you know, across the country to a big city, whatever the case may be for every individual, 
if we could have that situation like they have on the show there where you have those people who you feel comfortable with where if bad times happen they're there for you you celebrate the good times you know it's that comfort of like hey we you know for the holidays we're going to spend the holiday thanksgiving we always spend it together you know one of the staples of friends were those thanksgiving episodes like they you know which i always i'll be honest i like that and not directly but like for a little while, I, I still do it. I'll, I'll get together with friends on Thanksgiving, and that's one thing I did like about the show is seeing that, is seeing, for whatever reason, friends getting together on the holidays and making new traditions. Yeah, it kind of ushered in what we nowadays just call Friendsgiving. Absolutely. You know, like I'll have, I don't know about you, but I'm sure it's the same for you, where now, now every year... I'll have Thanksgiving with my family, but then I'll also have a Friendsgiving. Yeah, you that's true. I, for, you do you and your wife do do that now past what four years? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That and is it's true. and it's a ton of fun. It's a way, you know, we get to see people that sometimes we only see about once a year because they live out of state and everybody just gets together, hangs out. Sometimes we'll we'll have uh, you know, a little friendly competition. Um I'm still waiting for for one of these years to do a friends like episode where we just go out, we play football. Mm. Cause that would be, that'd be we're, great. We're, we're kind of, we're kind of, you know, when they did that, they were in their twenties. We're, we're past that. I think we might have some broken, some torn ACLs, some, some bad knees, some broken hips now. Nah. We're, we're speak, older. Speak for yourself, man. I'm, I'm speaking for you. I mean, cut you up all up and down that field, please. Mr. Mr. Glass. You That's what we sit. called you. No. Mr. Glass. Glass. What are you talking about? Oh! No problems Ooh. ever. That was you playing basketball back in back in your so-called prime. My no, elbow. First of all, Ooh. like that was talking, We're not talking basketball. That's we're even talking worse. football. Yeah, that's even worse. If you can't play ball basketball, I can't see you playing football. I was out now. there playing ta- tackle football games in college. Oh, like nah, man, it was fun. It was fine, and I don't have. <laughs> don't even. Don't even start. My hands are fine. Mm. I don't need. I don't need stickum. Well, some of our no. friends do need stickum even more now. Yeah, you know, we know who they are, but you may not need that. But you're going to need a lot of. You're going to need a bubble. You're going to need a lot of pads, knee pads. I don't know. No, I don't know about. Okay, if we have to tell your, you know, tell Jess, Jess's Nick's wife, you know, make sure to have, you know, get the car started, be ready to go right to the ER. You know, have all the ice. Is it's going to be a lot for you? That's why I'm looking out for you, man. Ice is fine. That's all I need. Just a little ice. Are you need a little ice? Just a, a little ice. ice. A lot of ice. I you, think you're, uh, you're past your prime, man. I think you're past your prime. I'll make sure I bring two ankle braces for when you try to cover me. Uh, please. That'll be easy. That's the easy part, covering you. Okay. But. Let me hit you with my post route. Mm-hmm. Gone. Be gone. Uh, back. I'll, I'll be, you know, I want you to come back to reality here you know not that fantasy lady you talk about where you're actually a good athlete <laughs> okay. so i'll give you another fast fact i don't know if you know this initially the main couple of the show was supposed to be joey and monica once jennifer aniston joined the show they switched it to ross and rachel idea yeah, i did hear about that uh excellent decision <laughs> excellent decision looking back i i mean you know i love joey and and you know i just can't see them two together mm. but we've we've critiqued ross and rachel on this podcast before so was it so excellent i said was it so like ross and rachel was it so excellent yeah 
I agree with you, Joey and Monica wouldn't be it, but was Ross and Rachel excellent? I, it was excellent for the show. I mean, it became like a pop culture reference, Ross and Rachel. You know, other uh, shows even played off of the yeah, back I know, and forth, I know, Ross and Rachel. I know, I know we're, for the show, it was popular, fine. but Not failing we, it, D? We, I mean, you said it quicker than I did on, our, on past episodes in the archives. You talked about how bad you not feeling a lot of TV couples you like over the Ross and Rachel. I'm yeah, just saying. I, 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 that doesn't necessarily mean I thought they were bad. They were I, annoying at times. I thought at, separately, I liked their characters. As a couple or whatever that was, it was not believable. And it, it was annoying. And to me, it just showed like throughout that they were better as friends and it was more realistic and just better when they were just friends. When it went romantic between the two of them, it was awkward. And I think it, it, it just wasn't it wasn't believable. I, I thought the chemistry was fine. I just thought with Ross, they did a little bit of a an underdog type of story for him, you know, like nerdy guy gets the girl you know, play on that. And we've seen that before, but you, you rooted, you were rooting for Ross in that scenario. Mm. Was, was it, was it a howdy? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, maybe we'll, we'll get to it. I have some more. Do you have any, you, I, I want, I have some more fast facts. Just a, wanna... yeah, just a quick one. And that, um, we're speaking of casting earlier. Uh, Hank Azaria, who you know eventually played a recurring role in the early seasons as Phoebe's uh, scientist boyfriend, or originally auditioned to play Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, he so wanted to be on the show that he went back and auditioned again for for another part after after he was rejected for for the part of Joey. I don't know if I could see him. I thought he was perfect as a scientist looking back um, kind of like, you know, uh, timid, sensitive type, um, but still like forward thinking. I just, the way that they wrote Joey, I felt like it was wrote specifically for, for Matt LeBlanc. I, he, I thought he brought a really specific style to it that gave the character a couple different dimensions. I, I just don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know that I would have, preferred Hank Azaria going back. No, one thing they got right to me was casting, which I think also wound up hurting a lot of network shows afterwards because networks then thought we know what we're doing because they got friends right. But I can't see any of the six not being who played them. You know what I mean? Like, I think they they nailed that and it's hard any of them to be like, oh, you could have filled someone else in and done just as well or better. I, I can't see it. Yeah, and it's not easy to do an ensemble cast. I mean, I think about the greatest ensemble cast of all time, and I, you know, I think of Cheers, I think of Parks and Rec, I think of Friends, and all three of those shows are almost decades apart. I mean, there are others. There are other shows certainly out there with great ensemble casts, but it's it's much easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it, it definitely is a great ensemble cast. Not what the network wanted originally. Uh, Crane and Kaufman fought for that of having the multiple storylines happening. Um, the network sometimes thinks they they just think they know better. 
like like the execs at like NBC, like, you know, God bless them. But no, like you got to go with the creator's instincts and yeah, some fine tuning and tweaking along the way. Sure. But there, there was originally they wanted to have as part of the cast, this um, um, police officer that yeah. gave like relationship advice. Yeah. Cause they felt like they needed an older person. Yeah, which is the, the show's too young. It was too made for exactly Gen, Gen X people. Which in their which opinion is not like they're they're not investing fully in this idea. They're not going all in. If they try to like pull back like those archetypal characters from from you know sitcoms ten years prior to that, right? And it's not life like that, doesn't it? I mean, I think you know we're we're in our thirties now. You have people. Whether it's family or whatever, older coworkers, maybe you you get advice from, and they consciously, subconsciously are a mentor role. But we, most likely, you're living your day to day life. You're you're going through your peaks and valley, your journey, especially in those twenties, whatever. It's you and the the people your age, who you're around, who you're. You know what I mean? Like it's not like we have the old cop who's hanging out with us, and he's part of the gang. Like that's not really. It doesn't represent life to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't. Right, right. That doesn't. That's not real. I agree. Um, speaking of casting, did you know Ellen DeGeneres was briefly considered for the part of Phoebe? I did not know that. Wow. Pass. Yeah, yeah. Good thing Lisa Kudrow was on mad about you and got let go from mad about you another nbc show and that paved the way um yeah but wasn't wasn't there some stuff that came out about lisa kudrow not being too enamored with her role at times on that show on friends like you're playing kind of like the ditzy blonde yeah got to her a little bit mm-hmm. and she was the one with really the most street smarts yeah, honestly, arguably the strongest character on the show. Uh, yeah, I guess what you mean by strong, independent. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can yeah, can yeah can make it on her on her own two feet is resourceful that that kind of strong. Um, we also have the theme. We just did our TV theme songs. I'll be there for you by the Rembrandts was almost bumped by. REM's Shiny Happy People as the theme song. Interesting. Which is a very known song. REM's definitely a you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame classic group in the 80s and the 90s and Shiny Happy People is a very known song. I don't think it, would have been, it wasn't be as good as I'll Be There For You. They made the right choice. I don't think it would have been bad though either. No, I don't it, think it would have been bad, but I'll be there for you was perfect for what right. they were going with for that show. I, I think so. But I, I could see that. Like, I thought about it when I read that, and I'm like, I kind of I know that. That's a very known song, Shiny Happy People. So I'm like going through it, how it plays, and I'm like, it wouldn't be bad. I don't think it would be memorable either. Hmm. Like, I'll be there for you. Like, it wouldn't it'd be more of – it wouldn't be memorable. Like, I'll be there for you. And I think you're right that I'll be there for you perfectly fit what the show was about. And I think they made the right choice. Absolutely. Real quick. I thought I was done, but just one thing, you know, how I, I like to often reference those TV guide lists mm-hmm. that they, that they so 
so much like did back in the in the mid two thousands and TV's top twenty top catchphrases. Did you, mm-hmm. did you happen to? I don't know if you happen to see that one. I have in the past, you know. Um, I'm a more original thinker myself. Okay. All right. Okay. Original <laughs> go ahead. thinker. Go where ahead. do you think? Where do you think? No, no, what's your? What's your? What's your? You know? What's your thing here? I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna tell you. Joey's line. How you doing? Mm-hmm. Or how you doing? Mm-hmm. Where do you think it ranks in in TV's top twenty catchphrases? Catchphrases. Will you give me like a you like an exact number or a, a top ten thing or something? Well, you're an original thinker, so I think you come at me with a with a with a specific number confidently. Uh, I guess I can give you. Was it eight? Wrong. What is it? Not far off, though. It, it actually made number four. Yeah, okay. Number four. I, that's a little high. Right, very high. I thought eight was high, but I know people bump. This, this show gets bumped high on a lot of things. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. number number four. Now, what that list would look like today versus 2005, you probably have some others in there, but... Number four, even for 2005, very high. Very high. Mm. I did say it quite a bit, though. I did not. I did not. Okay. I mean, I didn't use it. No, I'm saying I, it, it wasn't even... Th- there were uh, other things with the show back in the 90s that, like, we were on a break, to me, stuck out more than how you doing. Uh, for me personally, um, I think of Smelly Cat quicker. Oh, I think of pop culture, which is one of my fast facts. The Rachel, the hairstyle, was copied by an estimated 11 million female viewers. 11 million. Can you imagine like being the person that created that hairstyle? Yeah. Um, what, that... Like what happened? Like what happens? Like do you make like do you make money off that? I believe, yeah, she she did. It, it's uh, it's it's a big deal. That was a big deal in the nineties, and that person did it. it kind of was like what Farrah Fawcett had in the late seventies on Charlie's Angels, and that hair, everyone went for it. It for sure, um, was huge, and a lot of hair salons boomed, and a lot of ladies just came in with magazine pictures of Jennifer Aniston and said, "Give me this." And Give it was me this. It was called the most desired hairstyle of the Clinton era, which is pretty much the nineties. So Yeah, for women. Right. Uh, well, for, th- for, thank you. There were those Nick. are some dark times for, for men. I'm no no, I'm just saying obviously, yes, for women. But I'm saying like when you think back to the most popular haircuts of the nineties, there's some dark times for for men. I I'll be honest, I think nineties I love the decade of the nineties, besides the fashion, I think the fashion in the nineties is is terrible. Uh yeah, but it's it's our terrible. You know what I'm saying? The only thing I love about the night, I love Fubu and like that wear, like that's great. I like that. Looking at that, other than that, like I, I uh, combat uh, boots, terrible. Ugh. But Ugh. but you know Jennifer Aniston did not like it. And and hairstylist Chris McMillan created the hair 
cut while under the influence of marijuana. Another side note there, too. But Jennifer Aniston did not like that style. And by you see, by season three, it's really gone. And I wanted to ask you just a quick, like, fun little thing. What did you think of the Rachel, quote-unquote, hairstyle? What did I say? I mean, I don't really pay too much attention to hairstyles. <laughs> um, I didn't, like... I thought it looked fine. I thought it was. Oh. I thought it was really good. I think it's really good looking, and I respect her. Like maybe it's too hard, but thought that was her best hair of the series. To me, was when she had that original hair. Like I thought it looked really good on Jennifer Aniston, and and I get it if it, if it's too much work or it's annoying. But I look at those seat those first two seasons and how her hair. I thought that's it. That's an awesome hairstyle that that I, I think would be cool today. Honestly, I'm not like that's the 90. I think that would look good today. So I, I disagree with Miss Aniston on it. I mean, I respect it if it was just too much for her to keep up with. And everyone kept talking about it. But I look at those first two seasons and say right on. I definitely think it was better than the, the straight look. That's what I'm saying. Of the later seasons. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, not that I you know, noticed it as much as, you know, the female audience out there that, that wanted to, to um, get it for themselves. But yeah, I, I think you have a point, probably her best looks were those like first three seasons. Um, but it's so funny that two of the most iconic moments of the show were done under, were created under the influence. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Smelly that's cat true. and Rachel's hair. Yeah. And they've, uh, they're staples to this day, but I'm, unless you have any more fast facts, I, I think uh, I'm ready to keep going. No, I am. Uh, I'm good to go. Let's get into it. And I, I guess we'll, we'll start with, <clears throat> I guess the positives of it. What do you think? I think we'll go with the pot of why what's you know, quote unquote great about the show and why it has, you know, why, like, you know, you said Netflix and, HBO Max, all these people were fighting for it. It's, you know, when it was on Netflix, it was up there with The Office as what people watched. I think it was like right behind The Office. It was either second Mm -hmm. or third of what people watched the most on Netflix. HBO Max paid a lot of money to get it once when it debuted, you know, this past year. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things. It's, you know, it's really, you know, the 25th anniversary, fall of 2019, and that was a huge deal. Huge yeah. deal. A lot of articles, pop-up stuff, people taking pictures with the couch and, and, and you know, the coffee house and all that. So it showed that it's still just as booming now as it was back in the mid-90s. So yeah, I'll let you start it off. Why, what's the, the positive? I mean, I would like to start it off by talking a little bit about what it did differently and why it was groundbreaking for its time in regards to sitcom history. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's where it starts and that it was a, it was a departure from the family oriented sitcom. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and this is something that I see as the biggest reason why people love it. I look at it as the, maybe the main reason why people still love it today and you you know you think about how young people in society are 
are living in uh, today and what they're aspiring to um, today, you had friends as your family. You know, your friends were your family. It was about making it on your own. You know, they put it, set it in a big city, but it moved away from the traditional sitcom in that it wasn't like it wasn't organized around one family. It was six friends living. I mean, living on their own in the city. Yes. But pretty much living together, having kind of like a college life in an apartment complex um, and interacting with one another as if they were a family. You talk about the Thanksgiving episodes and other holiday episodes that they, that they spent together as well as with their immediate families. I think that resonated with people. I think at that time, the younger generation, the uh, younger audience, the uh, Gen Z um, was kind of, was craving that. Um, That's more Gen X really. Gen X. Yeah. Gen X. Sorry. They, they were, they were kind of, there was, there was room for, that kind of a show, there was a need for that kind of a show for that generation. Um, and I'm not surprised that it took off like it did and that it, it, it blew up like it did because, because, you, you know, when you think about college culture and you think about um, you know, something I'm going to bring up later, coffee culture, um, it was not something that you saw too much of until the, the, the mid nineties. And you saw, six very individual unique people trying to pursue their own passions and try to trying to make it on their own post college and they're not dictated by this family construct they make their own family construct right so they they get to live the way that i mean they they're blessed and fortunate enough to you know be within the circumstances to construct their own family through friends and live on their own the way that they want to live and try to pursue their passions. And I, I feel like back then there was an audience that really identified with that. And that's what really made it take off. And when you think about today, you think about, I mean, you think about a lot of things like, you know, 2008, we, we had the crash that was right. Like when we were about to graduate college, um, which put the, the, the economy in a downward spiral. And there were a lot of people struggling to make it on their own who graduate around that time. And it's kind of been like an uphill battle, like an uphill build ever since a lot of people still, because student loan debt, they can't afford to go out and buy a house right away. So they spend their mid twenties and even early thirties living with roommates or living with friends because of rent sharing. So, this is something that I, I still think that younger generations, this whole, you know, environment that they, that, that friends was placed in is one that is still very relevant today. And it's something that people still connect with. I, I, um, I know this is supposed to be the pod, so I, I trying to think of the right angle. Cause I definitely agree. Um, with the coffee culture, like I think the coffee, like which we see now, in mid nineties, you know, my I have my aunt and a couple cousins who live in Seattle. It coffee that 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 coffee shop hangout thing where it was cool still was like a Seattle thing to me. And I do believe I don't know I'm not the biggest coffee drinker personally. Yeah, I do like a 
you know, pre-COVID, sitting in a coffee shop is cool and, you know, chilling. Like, that's, but, like, how much that played a factor into people, you know, those Gen Xers in their 20s and the 90s seeing this cast, their main hangout. You know, you saw them in the apartments a lot, but you saw them drinking coffee and it looked like a cool place. Um, you know, you saw Phoebe go up there playing the guitar, so it looked like a like, like acoustic, like, alternative kind of thing. Uh, and how much that helped to grow the coffee culture in itself and making that a desired a destination in cities and, you know, communities across the country. I do wonder, like... You didn't I, see it too much before that. No, that's why, I, yeah, I think it, it that played a, a big part, I, I do think, you know, in, in what we see now where it's it's no different, almost like when you see a McDonald's or a Burger King, you expect to see a coffee shop or a Starbucks, you know, right. now it's like, we don't think about it. But in the, that time, that was different. I remember even having conversations like, where do you have, where, where are, like, where is that real? Like, where, like, where do you go to do that? There's a, what is it? A coffee shop? Like, it was like foreign. Like, you yeah. sit there, you just, and it's like, what do you do? You just, you drink coffee? And people be like, what, what do you, that makes no sense. You just sit there and drink coffee. I drink coffee, yo, Dunkin' Donuts, or in my house. Why would I go to a coffee? <laughs> like that was conversations I remember older people having and listening. Different, very different. So I, I think that played a part in it. And I do think what I'll give the show, as far as what I see it doing well, I don't know if people see it or not. They did develop these characters very well. Yes. And when you look at it, and it's not, in my opinion, it's not so much in your face as if you don't, if you're not watching it and seeing how each character is changing and growing and maturing, you may miss it. But I think the writers did a very characters, and I think what it did, like you said, I still, in my opinion, especially when it comes to comedies, there are those great. Um, ensemble shows but it, they they like I said earlier they casted this show perfectly and I give it kudos like everyone you know I won't give it the Parks and Rec compliment like I gave which I felt like every combo you throw at it worked I don't think Friends has that uh, I don't think it has that in my opinion but like I, I don't see like Chandler and Rachel did not work for me when they did things together. I believe they were friends in that group, but like I wasn't like, oh, Chandler and Rachel get into something. I'm mm. hooked. You know what I mean? I just just me. Yeah, yeah. Chandler and Rachel. Yeah, Chandler and Rachel kind of reminded me of like on Seinfeld when George and Elaine finally got some screen time together. Yeah, there was a connection through Jerry, in my opinion. And I feel like Monica was the connection for Chandler and Rachel. I think, um, I think uh, Ross and Phoebe were kind of different in that regard, too. Now, to me, they worked well when they were kind of like jokingly, but like combative. It worked well there. But as far as like them getting into something, it didn't really always hit me. Well, like but, the evolution debate was like one of the best yeah. moments for them. Right. I agree with that. Um, so, but they did all work very well and it was a great, and it was to me, 
they they were believable. Like Would I you... was like they these guys aren't friends. It it was very believable, and I give the the that impact and give them much credit for that. Would you say that it, to your point about the character development? Mm-hmm. In your opinion, would you say that the strongest storylines in regards to character growth were – well, actually, I was just going to ask you because I have, I have two characters in mind. Wh- who do you think were the strongest for, for character growth? Um, I, I would say Chandler. Okay. Chandler was pretty strong for me. I'll be honest, I kind of like, I, I think the easy answer would be Rachel, but I'm not going to say Rachel. I'm, I'm going to go with Ross. And the reason why I go really? with Ross is because if you see Ross in those early seasons, he, to me, is kind of going for what, he, you know, which I think that still connects, in my opinion, with all, you know, people, you're going for what your parents want you to be. And I felt like you saw that with Ross and I felt like he was trying to get that, you know, picture perfect nuclear family. And, you know, it was obvious him and Carol weren't working with it. You know, they have been together. And then I think he's forcing, you know, something he loves Rachel and wants that doesn't work. He forces it with Emily. And then to me, you see him kind of he's going mad. You know, he's two time divorced the Rachel stuff and then it's like it's a running joke and he's kind of like trying to you see he's trying to like a midlife crisis but like in his like late 20s early 30s where <laughs> he's kind of funny yeah he moves across the like the street and he's getting his own apartment he's trying to like be himself and you know you even have it where he's snapping at work and you kind of see it like I felt like it was kind of I didn't see that first when I watched the show a few years ago straight through the first time but like the effects of everything that's been happening to him, like he's a father, he gets divorced, and then it's wrong. And we talk about we'll get into more of the homophobic jokes, but he feels also embarrassed because his ex wife is a lesbian. And then, you know, the whole thing, the will you won't you with Rachel, the whole gaff marrying Emily and that being a disaster. And then you kind of see he's losing his mind. And it is funny, but it's not, but it's real. Like you start seeing he's kind of like a different Ross. And then it went from just kind of like straight up. Ross is kind of boring to Ross is crazy. <laughs> you know, red, red Ross. Yeah. Red Ross. So I, <laughs> I, I, which I, is some of his funniest moments, by the way. Yeah. So I, for me, Ross was really good with that. Uh, I, I like wow. Chandler and, and Ross to me. Two different names than what I had. Who do you have? I had uh, Joey and Rachel. I think Rachel is the easy answer because, you know, she uh, cuts up daddy's credit cards and decides to try to make it on her own. She's struggling as a, as a waitress trying to make ends meet and she's leaning on her friends a lot. And then she, you know, eventually lands a, a corporate job at, at Bloomingdale's and, you know, works up the ladder from there. And then eventually she becomes a really successful executive and matures a lot. And I, I think we see the most growth with her. With Joey, I liked the fact that they had someone on the show who 
was financially dependent on others because he was pursuing his passion. Mm. Like, I liked the fact that they had someone on the show that was kind of like the starving actor and was like, you know, super naive, but at the same point, super like driven to do acting and super passionate and, and, you know, whether or not he paid, he ever paid Chandler back is uh, <laughs> not, you know, not the focus there, but um, you know, eventually he lands some parts on, on uh, you know, days of our lives and he has other, you know, other soap opera roles and he, he, he um, gets a role in this, in this uh, war movie that Chandler falls asleep watching, but you know, he, he had, I would say moderate success, but it was still nice to see him kind of go through. I mean, it wasn't nice to see him go through the ups and downs, but it was it was nice to see him get to a place where he like actually got to do what he loved for you know extended period of time. I I I, I, I see what you're saying, and I do like that. Oh, uh, here it comes. But no, I'm not not knocking it. I just think um, what what takes Joey out for me was he kind of always. I like that, even though you can kind of see he's. I don't want to. I don't know. Chauvinistic is a word. That's, that's probably too harsh a word. He's a, a pig when it comes to ladies, but he still has a heart and he still is like admirable and he's loyal. Um, I, I think what takes Joey out for me, and it's not Matt LeBlanc, who I think played the part great. I blame the writers that the Joey Rachel thing at toward the later years is what takes both of them kind of out. Rachel in the later years also <sighs> takes it out for me with her. Um, and I'll be honest, even Matt LeBlanc said that. He said he felt very weird because Rachel, especially at that point, is like his sister. And, and I agree with that. It, it felt very weird to me. It didn't feel natural. It felt like a forced thing to try to generate buzz or something, which wasn't needed because the show was popular the entire run. But yeah. I don't know why they did it. Yeah, I... It wasn't necessary. I, I, I guess I just didn't focus on that when I thought of their, their storylines. I didn't. I didn't really consider. I've tried to like block that out of memory. <laughs> it's bad. Like it's really bad. It wasn't a good decision. It kind of made everybody uncomfortable, and I don't think the audience took to it as it being very believable. I will say though that it, it resulted in some big episodes though, which was kind of weird. Like the, um, the the two-part finale to season eight when they're in the hospital and he accidentally proposes and like all that stuff. Um, there was a really funny episode in season eight too, where, um, or no, sorry, not, not season eight, season nine, where Ross and Joey get into it a little bit and Ross mm-hmm. winds up breaking his hand and getting punched in the face <laughs> to go to the hospital. Um, that was like the only good thing to come out of it, I think. But him, Joe, watching Joey go through like all those emotions during season eight and like falling in love with his best friend, who's pregnant, me, it, it also doesn't. Yeah, best doesn't, friend's kid. That's not. I know people, you know, make mistakes and all that. And you want to look at it at that. That just doesn't go with Joey's character. That's not who Joey was to me. And Joey, like. That that's something Joey wouldn't do. Yeah, like that's and that and that to me, 
I say it's bad because, A, it wasn't his character for seven or eight seasons before. And then it also just, it was out of character. And it was just, it it, it showed him then not progressing or developing. It showed that that's that, that's almost like high schoolish, you know, college. And they were at that point in their early 30s. Like, it just, I don't like that. So, yeah. uh, a thing, a friend of mine and a friend of the show, Robin, we've always had a debate, but it, it's a good conversation which is you see Rachel being independent and you know this is more of the I guess like the look at it from like you know the feminist standpoint she is not depending on her dad or you know Barry to take care of her she's being her own person and at the end of the, you know, the finale deciding to not go for the career and to be with Ross and you, I've heard this debate me and my friend Robin have it uh, this conversation all the time, but I do think it's whether you agree or disagree, whatever side you stand on, it's a good point of, do you think that falls with the show of how Rachel green is developing that you see this progression, but then she goes with Ross at the end. No, no, it does not go with the show, but they needed it for the finale. And that's, that's where I think that's why I can't put Rachel in my, my two. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Um, so, very good now, question, though. Now, real quick, I do. So, I have, I have a bunch of stuff listed that the show was could be considered progressive for, but then I also have like stuff that the show could be considered regressive for, and mm-hmm. I feel like those two topics should go together. Uh, because so like when you talk about what did the show do well, I do have some other good things, but those good things are then undermined by some bad things. Now, let me ask you real quick. Do you mean good things social or good things as far as the impact on television? Both social and impact on television. And I well, feel like that's going to take some like a good amount of time to discuss. So before I would touch on that. I wanted to bring something else up to you because I feel like we could spend hours on the other stuff. Um, oh, and we probably will. Yo, yeah. We might go uh, three-parters. Who knows? We, we, we might. We, we almost had one episode just, just an intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, but real quick, since, you know, normally, you know, we, 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 uh, you know, we try to stick to as close to an hour as we can before we think about, you know, wrapping it up for part two. Another thing that I thought was charming about the show and that people deep down, no matter who you are, can identify with, it's pursuing what you love. And I, I feel like each character does that. Rachel with fashion, Joey with, with acting, um, Monica with wanting to be a chef um, of her own restaurant, Ross with paleontology, um, which he's constantly talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I that was always a part of the show that I really appreciated just because of someone like when I was watching it it was in the 90s and in the early 2000s it was when I was growing up and moving from you know being a kid into young adulthood and you know I would always think about you know what do I want to pursue and I you know I would watch these characters on the show and no matter what kind of ups and downs they went through they kind of stuck to their guns for the most part and you know 
would grind it out to pursue what they love. Like Joey would take, you know, weird acting jobs and Rachel worked at the coffee shop for years. And Monica took, you know, jobs as a waitress with, uh, you know, a ridiculous outfit to just try to like get to that spot where they could make a living doing what they love. Um, I know you don't really see it as much with Chandler with the whole business thing, even though I, you know, he kind of likes that, I guess. Um, and Phoebe, you know, loves doing mas- massage therapy, but her, I feel like her truer passion was, was music and just being creative. Um, but it was something that I always appreciated about the show. Just personally, you know, I wanted to give my own personal take on that, you know, that whole pursuing what you love. And, mm. you know, nowadays it's time, ta- it's hard to do that in this, in this economy. Um, you don't feel, at least I didn't feel like I could take as many risks. I mean, we graduated right after the economy tanked. Yeah. And I, you know, so it's comforting to me that part of the show, watching it back, like just, you know, pursuing your passion because, you know, there were times in, in my life and I'm sure a lot of other people's lives, especially if, you know, you're within these couple generations that we've been talking about where you, you didn't feel like you could maybe take that risk. No, um, I guess I just want to clarify it. So do you mean that they were groundbreaking in that or that you just like that they did it? I like that they did it. I don't okay. know that it was groundbreaking, um, but I, I just – there was something about the show that I always appreciated, that I always identified with, that I took comfort in, and that I enjoyed watching um, in regards to each character. Um, um, I, I, I will say this. I agree with that. Now uh, – um. Being a guy who loves TV history, the show Taxi, to me, really personifies that. Where besides Judd Hirsch's character, you know, Alex, everybody else wants to be anything but a taxi driver. You know, um, so I, I see it from there. But I do think, yes, I, I agree with you. And I think that is something that people can connect to. And I think a reason why Gen Xers probably liked it and why the millennials like it is what you just said so well that they are going after their dreams and it it doesn't always I you know I think Rachel's rise kind of happened quickly but I I especially I'll say Monica I liked the fact that Monica was a chef you know what she was doing but then did not want to have to take that job at the old 50s diner and and you know wearing the inflated boobs and looking like Marilyn Monroe but she did it because she's still in food and she's you know a lot of times we have to do that. It doesn't always just, you get, you know, you have a dream and it just happens. You have to work toward it. So Monica, I, I agree with your point. And to me, what hit me the most with that was Monica's progression with that, honestly. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Because I mean, think of all the things that she, she, she went through and that she tried. I mean, you know, not only was, was there that job, but then she tried the catering business. Yeah. And like, she just kept trying one thing after another until she was finally able to become, you know, a head chef at her own restaurant. And, uh, you know, it was something that you came to appreciate about her, about her character. Um, despite all of her annoying personality traits. No, a uh, uh, hot take <laughs> Monica of the best love interest on the show, the best things, it's both of them are Monica. Rachel has nothing with it. Like the Ross and Rachel thing is, you know, nah. But Monica and Richard really compelling. Oh, great. And Monica and Chandler very compelling. And they are very to me, I look at the realness of both of them. I especially the Monica and Richard part, um 
that you, you know, it's not a good versus evil. You know, you don't just, you don't work out and like someone's bad and someone's good. They're both great people. Uh, It just was a timing thing. You can see a a bit of the, you know, the age difference and where they were at in their lives got in the way, but they worked very well together. And I like that it wasn't Richard's bad or Monica's. Well, you know what I mean? It it, it just, they were two likable people that you're rooted for. But why they didn't get together is very understandable, and there's no bad guy in that. It's just life. Yeah, it's like it's painful to watch too because so often in those scenarios, if you're witnessing them, you almost like want there to be a bad guy so that there's like some kind of explanation to why it didn't work. Um, You'd hate to think that two people that really actually do love each other just can't be together because of they're at different parts in their life. Um, but it wasn't meant to be. So, um, yeah, that's a great point. But Monica, I have, I know you have a lot to say more about the good and the bad. And I have a lot to say about them. And even to something you said earlier. So we will cut this right here. This is part one and stay tuned for next week when we give you part two of breaking down the iconic show friends for my tag team partner, my co-host Nick, I'm Jeremy. Thank you for listening to ready, set binge.